And really, what is positional authority? And what is spiritual authority? So when we think of positional side of authority, really it's just a secular idea. It's a man-made entitlement. You can kind of think of spiritual authority in the vein of it is my right for my hard work to be in the position that I have attained. But on the spiritual side, it is only God that is going to allow you to have authority in the spiritual realm. The truth is, though, that positional authority is the same concept because God is only the one that places you there. But if you allow me this morning just to pose a few questions for us, I want to ask, is it important to seek leadership? Is it okay to seek leadership? And what about someone who seeks it? Are they doing something that's good and right for their lives? And do we have uh, spiritual authority in biblical text? Do we see principles there where we can pull that out? Well, I'll start off with what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.1. It says, to, to want to lead is a good thing. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. Now, in this, in this statement, Paul is talking to a friend. He's saying, look, Timothy, you can do it. And throughout this entire deal, he's telling him it's okay to want that. He's not just a personal growth coach that's trying to encourage him. Say, look, yeah, get out there. Be a leader. You're going to do good. You're going to going to do well he's not doing that but he actually cares about Timothy in this verse and so after Timothy was and and really Timothy was going to take over the church in Ephesus so Paul was really trying to prepare Timothy for this and so if you take Paul's teachings throughout all of the New Testament and you analyze them and you really think about uh, uh, some of the underlining themes that Paul is teaching he's saying that we need spiritual authority in our lives as believers Because if you don't have it, you fall. But see, the danger is this, is that all too often people try to make leadership in the church look like the world's model of leadership. Because there are a lot of leadership gurus out there that are going to tell you how to be a good leader. They're going to tell you how to to grow in leadership and how to become more efficient in leadership and how to be more effective in leadership. And they're going to give you all these different concepts of how to do that. And so, but the problem is, is that we, we adopt that in the church. And how to lead if you're not in charge is one of the biggest things that they're going to say. But the truth is that only God, the relationship with God can really prepare you for leadership. If you don't have that, then you can't be a good leader. Because it is only by that relationship that you will ever have full spiritual authority. The greatest difference, though, between what Scripture says and the world says about leadership is that the world would have us to believe that leadership is simply a position that if I am over something, then I should be able to tell you what to do. It's my title that allows me to do this. But leaders like this, they get entitled. They lose sight of the people that they're trying to lead. And I don't want to discredit anybody who's ever gone out and got a degree or who's ever gone out and done all the work that you need to do to get into your leadership position. You went to school, you earned the right, you have a corner office, you've done everything that you could possibly do to become a leader. But if you neglect God's hand in your leadership, then you 
are not where you think you should be. Because, can you show that slide for me? No, the next slide, sorry. Next slide. Not following me, I guess. It's okay. Show the turtle, please. There we go. Like a turtle on top of a fence post, it is the same for leaders in this life that they do not get where they are going if God does not place them there. Because the very inconvenient truth is this, that if I were to ask you to raise your hands today, that have you ever been hurt by a leader or have you ever had a bad leader in your life, I'm sure that at some point we would all raise our hands. The truth is that there are bad leaders who don't want to get better or they just didn't care about the people they were leading. They use their titles for abuse. They lose sight of what they're called to do. But we still need to follow them unless the request of us would be to betray the very word of God. Because in Colossians 3.22-25 through 25, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Now I want to just throw out there, this includes our jobs, our bills, our ministries, and all other things that some sort of leadership or type of authority has been placed above you in your life. Because it says, in everything you do, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Imagine for a moment if we, if we adopted this concept. How much easier would that make our pastor's job? How much easier would that make our boss's job, or our co-worker's jobs, or even, heaven forbid, the bill collector's jobs, if we were just to follow that one statement? But it says, it goes on, it says, serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. Because God has no favorites. And just because we're talking about authority, I'm going to throw this one out there for free. Romans 3.1, it says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So it says that all authority, not some authority, but all authority, has been placed by God. So if we have a leadership that is in government that we disagree with, or those that are leading the companies that we work for, and they are corrupt, they're immoral, and... For the life of us, we just can't understand why God would place them there. I would just say, use caution and pray. Allow God to give you discernment to know where God would lead us in our choices, either to stay or support those individuals. And ask yourself, God, can I be an agent for change? If the answer is no, then maybe it's time to move on. But I would not advocate that you leave the country, your job, or the church based on your emotions, but what saith the Lord? Be spirit-led. That is the basis for the understanding of what true spiritual authority is. In Psalms 37, 23, it says, The steps of a good and righteous man are directed and established by the Lord. And he delights in his way and blesses his path. See, we need to hold on to that ageless truth. Because there are times that we are going to face adversity and decisions that will be difficult. And in order for us to prevail, we must hold on to the truth, 
the spiritual truths of the scriptures. I say let us take a lesson from David when it comes to spiritual authority. Because you are going to go through storms and trials. I mean, it's going to, it is going to happen in your life. Psalms 37, when we look at that verse, this was the wisdom of David's old age and a lifetime of understanding accompanied by his leadership experiences. When you look at David, it was the message that echoed throughout his entire life. David had lived through difficult leaders, and truthfully, he had lived through difficult leadership times. We all have, to varying degrees, experienced leaders who have had and possibly have currently in your life that might not be the best. But there is something that God is using to refine you and teach you and me and to perfect you through them. And that is why it is so important as the church that we are and remain guarded against the world's view of leadership. Because it is easy to begin to think that degrees and experiences are the predecessors to success. And that in order to choose a leader or to be a leader, then they need to be well balanced in business and have a foundation in leading people. A pedigree, if you will. But I would say that the true leadership does not come from an outer expression of experience as much as it comes from an inner working of God and the individual. Let's direct our look at what is said of David in Psalm 78, 70 through 72. It said, he chose his servant, David, calling him from the sheep pens. He took David from feeding the ewes and the lambs and made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. He cared for them with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. You see, it doesn't make sense to bring David out of the sheep pens to be a leader, to be a king. Because the secular world is going to tell us that we're not cut from the right cloth. That you're not expected to come out of where you came from, to rise to high levels of leadership in your jobs, in your community, and in your church. But, you know, neither was David. And if we had a testimony service right now for what God has done in your life, you would say that you came from a very different place. I'm sure. If I was to stop and just say, who here could testify to what God has done in your life? I am positive that there would be people who said, God's favor has been on my life. Because it is God who places authority and raises those in the positions of power. Truth is, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. It never made sense that David, out of all of his brothers, would be chosen. I mean, realistically, David stunk. I mean, he was coming from the field. He had, he had tended to the ewes and to the lambs. He had done all these things, and, and he had dirt on his hands, and he wasn't clean, and he wasn't the best looking, but yet this was David, and he was chosen. Truth is that he came from the field. There's something about the field, right? Because no one expected that king to come from there, from that humble beginning, especially a king that accomplished what David accomplished. But then I want to direct our eyes towards the 12 apostles. Because these great men of the Bible who founded and died for the first century church were the martyrs for the cause of Christ. They had humble beginnings and none of their lives had any type of worldly authority. There was a few of them that had influence, but they did not have any type of positional authority. They weren't part of the Levitical priesthood. 
They were unlearned men. That's how the Bible describes them. And this is an account of the 12 men that while they were traveling with Jesus, they began to have an argument about who was the greatest among them. Imagine these set-apart people, these called out by Jesus having an argument. Shouldn't have arguments, right? Yet in spite of their aspirations, our Lord and Savior Jesus answered them and told them with an object lesson. I digress for a moment. How many times have I asked the Lord to show me something? And as soon as he shows me, I look over here and I say, Lord, show me something. And then, and then he shows it, and then I'm over here, and I'm looking, Lord, show me something. You know, it doesn't change. It doesn't change for these 12 apostles because they did the same thing to the Lord multiple times. And we can pick up this account in Luke 9, 46 through 48. It says, an argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest, surpassing the others in esteem and authority. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and had him stand beside him. And he told them, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me also welcomes him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, that is the one who is genuinely humble, the one with a realistic self-view, he is the one who is truly great. You see, these men had wanted to be the leaders of the kingdom of God. They knew that all the prophecies about the Messiah and that when he would return that there would be a, a millennial reign and that they would reign with Jesus. This was what they desired. But they were seeking titles and they were seeking positions. And, the, and they did not know what was going to take place on the cross. They had little idea of what Jesus was going to have to endure. Yeah, we can judge them harshly. We can say, well, they were fools or they made bad decisions or they did whatever. But the truth is we have an advantage on them. We didn't. We understand that they were deeply flawed and that they were in spiritual authority as they walked with him. And they had more power than any ruler of the world at that time or even now possibly. But it was not them and themselves that had the power, but it was a real authentic relationship with God that gave them that power. So yet, while they were listening and spending time with God manifesting in the flesh, they were more worried about positions and titles than being in the presence of the king. Because it is unlikely that today I can say this. I believe this. Many of us do not feel like we are cut or called to be leaders. And even the, we don't even have the aspiration to be a leader. Yet I am telling someone today that you are a leader and that although your past might seem to disqualify you, it is simply not true. Because if you look at this, these men and women all had something that by society's standards would have discredited them and disqualified them from any type of real leadership. But as we look at spiritual authority versus positional authority, I want to direct our eyes towards what Paul lays out in the foundation of leadership. And he gives Timothy a kind of a blanket statement. This is what you need to do in order to qualify for the leadership in God's kingdom. And he says in 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 4, he says, A church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, 
and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle and not quarrelsome and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. Now, these qualifications of leadership, you know, they weren't written down for guys like David. David didn't have a checklist where he could go through and say, okay, yeah, I'm good here. I'm good here. I'm, uh, yeah, I need to work here. He didn't have that. But where, where did David learn to be a leader? Where did David really get the idea of what it meant to be a true leader? Well, I direct our eyes back towards Psalm 78, 70 through 72. He says, he chose his servant David, calling him from the sheep pens. He took David from tending the ewes and the lambs and made him the shepherd of Jacob's descendants, God's own people, Israel. He cared for them with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. You see, this prophet Samuel found him in the pens of the field. The apostles, they were fishing, they were working, they were being active in their lives when they received their calls to be in service to the king. So as a church, this deeper waters is not just about leadership and how you can become a better leader or what is the authority of the church, but it is actually about answering that call that God is placing on your life to step into the new levels of spiritual authority and taking dominion in the name of Jesus. Because David did not become king if he does not first start in the field and learn how to be a servant. No level of true authority comes unless you are willing to be humble and meek before men and God. You have to bow before you will ever stand. And this was the lesson that Jesus was teaching his disciples in front of the child that day. You see, the child was eager to be in the presence of the Messiah. He wanted nothing more than to just be available. There are times that we lose that understanding on our pursuit of positions and titles. You can want that promotion on the job and those letters behind your name and the increase in salary, but they are empty shells in contrast to the authority that has been given to you when you are filled with the Holy Ghost. Spiritual authority will defeat and surpass all positions and titles attained in this life. It is the power to see the demonstration of the supernatural in our times. And some of the greatest fears that I have personally have had would be that I would want to see the power of God on display, but I was too busy jockeying for the world's acceptance to step into the dominion of authority that God has placed upon our lives. Thankfully, though, God lays it out there so we can know exactly what it takes to possess the authority that is spoken about. Luke 10, 19 says, Listen carefully, I have given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy who is Satan. And nothing in any way will harm you. First thing, if you want to possess this spiritual authority that God has for you, is in, go into a relationship with him, into a covenant relationship. Step into the waters of baptism and have that name called over you. In Ephesians 4.24, it says it like this. It says, and put on the new self. The regenerated and renewed nature, created in God's image to be godlike and the righteousness and holiness of the truth, living in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. Secondly, is to be filled with the Holy Ghost. This is a promise, not something that is scary. You know, you, you don't have to fear it, it's a gift. 
if you haven't received it yet. He wants to give it to you. And when he does, this is what Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 will give you. It says, and I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand all God's people should. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, because then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. If you've already entered into that covenant, if you've already been filled with the Holy Ghost, there's just one less thing that you must do, and that is to step into the authority that God has for you. But the thing is this, the predecessor to the working of the Spirit and having spiritual authority is holiness. Because holiness is the nature of God, and He is not going to change. He cannot change. He will not change. So in order to have true spiritual authority, you must live a holy life. You see, it's like this, and I'll close with this. It is like someone who drives a Lamborghini, drives around town, and he only ever reaches speeds of 15 miles per hour. He never actually gets the full potential of the car. You also have those that would go into the doctors and they'd be pronounced terminally ill, but the next day they show up to work as if it never happened. None of those things truly make sense. And it's the same thing for a child of God. Because if you have the authority, if you have been blessed and you have been spirit-filled and you have been baptized in Jesus' name, then you have to take dominion. You have to say, I'm going to be a change factor. I'm going to live the way Paul told us to live, to keep our eyes on the mark, to remember the prize that's at the end. Because only through spiritual authority and the obedience and the holiness will we achieve that. But do not condemn yourselves because like he said, just keep on reaching. Keep on keeping your eyes on the prize. To have a life of spiritual disciplines and focus on the reading of the word, your prayer, your fasting and the carrying of one another's burdens. You must be present and present with your family, your friends, and most importantly, with Jesus. Because if you do these things, then you will step into spiritual authority that God is calling you into this new year in 2020. Please stand. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Let's just take a moment and give him some praise this morning. Lord, you are worthy.